prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, filmmaker Jason Reitman brings a classic back to life with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Hey guys, Josh Horowitz here with another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused and a returning filmmaker to the pod, Mr. Jason Reitman. Uh, This is a fascinating, fascinating turn for Jason Reitman. If you know his work, you know he's kind of been operating very much in the dramatic world and sometimes in the dramatic comedy world. Uh, Juno, Thank You for Smoking, Young Adult, a host of great films. And he's always kind of resisted the questions about, you know, would you tackle one of your father's, a type of film your father did, or even a sequel to one of his father's films. Um, His father, of course, being the great Ivan Reitman. And yes, Ivan Reitman's uh, classic Ghostbusters film is the one that's loomed large for years about something that Jason may or may not be interested in. And he's always begged it off and said, no, it's not for me. Um, But here he is. He has come around after all these years. He had an idea for what to do with the Ghostbusters franchise. And he's really delivered a true crowd pleaser with Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is opening this week. Um, I got a chance to see this movie. I saw this. uh, We taped this about a month ago. Um, They surprised the audience at New York Comic Con um, by showing the film. And I got a chance to see it then. And to see it with that audience... Um, it was really special. It was really delivers. This is this is a really fun movie that clearly has so much reverence for the original, for those characters, for all the accoutrements of the Ghostbusters, from the proton pack to uh, the car to everything about it. You'll see so many fun nods to the original in this movie, um, and a lot of familiar faces and. Really, the most important part about it, though, frankly, are the new faces. Uh, McKenna Grace is fantastic in this. Carrie Coon, of course. Paul Rudd. Finn Wolfhard. Um, This is a story about a family, a family that has connections to the Ghostbusters of the past, but it is in a much different kind of setting. We're not in the big city now. This is a rural setting, but uh, without spoiling anything, all hell does break loose, and uh, we start to kind of this starts to morph into a more familiar Ghostbusters movie as it goes and um, what can I say it really played very well for a big audience I had a fun time watching it I had a smile on my face for most of the running time Um, and I'm excited for you guys to check it out I think it's going to do really really well for everybody involved and I'm happy for Jason who is just a fun guy to talk to about movies always has been and has such a, a great wit about him um, and he's, yeah, it's just exciting to sort of see where he's, where he's come from and where, and how he's kind of come full circle to kind of like honor his dad's legacy, honor Harold Ramis's legacy, which looms large in this film. Um, so yes, no spoilers in this, don't worry, but, um, a great conversation with Jason Reitman in this. And I know you guys are going to dig it. And, uh, as I said, just for context uh, sake, I think this was like the day after maybe New York Comic Con. So I think he was riding high off of that screening. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the main event today, but there's a lot of other stuff to talk about that I do want to mention. I got a chance to talk to Andrew Garfield, uh, for MTV. Uh, his new film is fantastic. Tick, tick, boom. Uh, I believe it drops on Netflix this Friday as well. This is, this, this time of year is crazy guys. I've been, I feel like I've watched like a great movie, like every day, like the last five days. And that's like after like not seeing like 
a great movie for like two months. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just the ratio just shifts in this time of year, and it's so exciting. Um, so, yes, Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, I do want to plug because I really dug it. It's um, directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know him. You love him. Uh, but, of course, it is based on the Jonathan Larson musical. Jonathan Larson, if you don't know, was the brilliant um, um, creator of Rent and Tick, Tick, Boom, who tragically randomly just one of these cosmic fate things just just he died like on the eve of his huge success um never got the chance to see the success that rent became um and this this musical is really about wow it's about a lot of things it's about what we do with the 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 limited time we have on this planet it's about creativity it's about frustration it's about love um, and it features a fantastic performance from Andrew Garfield. So as I said, I got a chance to talk to Andrew, who I always love talking to. Um, he was on the podcast just a few months back. If you want to go back into the archives, that's well worth checking out. But um, this is another great chat, and this is going to be on MTV News uh, very soon on their YouTube, uh, Twitter, etc. So I'll, I'll put that out there. And yes, of course, we have a laugh about our ongoing discussions about Andrew Garfield, is he or isn't he in the new Spider-Man film? I don't know anything for a fact, guys. I don't have any inside dope on this, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be in it. <laughs> I'm just going to say, that's my vote. Um, anyway, what else do I want to say? Oh, I know. Sam Hewen. Okay, I've been, I've been plugging this one for a while. I've been teasing this one for a while. It's about... I think by the time you listen to this, if you're listening to this on the day this episode drops, um, we're about 24 or 48 hours away from finally dropping this epic Comedy Central sketch I shot with Sam. I'll have more to say about it maybe on next week's show and on the Patreon page for know, like the inside dirt and the background on it. But uh, suffice it to say, uh, I'm really proud of it. Sam is hysterical in it. It's maybe one of my favorite things we've ever done together. And um, it's going to be out there for all to see on Comedy Central's uh, social platforms. And I'm putting a whole bunch of goodie extras on the Patreon page. Photos, some videos. So stay tuned. If you want more of the Sam Hewen goodness, uh, go over to patreon.com slash happy, sad, confused. Um, that's to come very, very soon. Is there anything else to mention? Let me think. Let me think. I don't know, guys. Just a lot of really good movies coming. Thanksgiving around the corner. Some really great podcasts on the way. Um, I announced the other day uh, Katrina Balf. She might be next week's episode. I'm kind of working out the schedule right now. Some great filmmakers, some great actors, some familiar faces, some new faces. Um, yeah, it's all happening, guys. All right, so let, let's get right to the main event. Um, let's talk some Ghostbusters. What a good excuse. What a great what a great gig sometimes when you get to just talk about Ghostbusters for 45 minutes. <laughs> like, that's... if I mean, Ghostbusters loomed so large in my life, I probably have seen it more than any other movie. So the fact that I got a chance to talk to Jason about this was just uh, a real dream come true. A dream I didn't know I had. Anyway, uh, hope you guys enjoy this chat with me and Jason Reitman. Remember to check out Ghostbusters Afterlife in theaters this Friday. Jason. Josh, why so low-key? What's the story? Well, I'm building up. I need to save the energy for the all excitement right, to come. Right. We'll start low. We'll start no. chill. No, let's let's start. We're not starting chill. Jason Reitman is back ah, on the podcast. We're doing how are it. You? 
It's so I'm, good to I'm see thrilled you, to have our 17th conversation about movies. Well, not only that. Okay, so there's a lot to talk about. Congratulations, sir. As we take this, uh, it has just screened at New York uh, Comic-Con. I was privileged to be in the audience, and that is the way you want to screen a movie, my friend. Uh, congratulations. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Josh, what was the first movie that you and I talked about? I went back and thought about this. It, it, it must have been Juno. I don't think we talked for Thank You for Smoking. Okay, I was curious. So he, so I do actually kind of want to delve into our past because I want to give you a compliment, compliment and in exchange for that, I want a bit of an apology or at least an explanation. Wow. Ready? Okay, let's go. Okay, let's do this. Let's dig in. Your movie's fantastic. The movie is so thrilling. I mean, Thank you. You, you know, I, I am a huge Ghostbusters fan as well as a fan of yours. Yeah. And um, it's kind of a miracle. <laughs> this is a hard, this is a hard high wire act to, to navigate and you truly deliver on so Thank many you. levels. At the same time, Jason, yeah, many, we've talked for fifteen years. Yeah, we've we're talked close. about. We've talked about. There's a trust. There's a bond. There was a trust. Whoa, Josh. <laughs> I'm just saying. How many times have we talked about Ghostbusters? How many times have you said to me, and to be fair, many others, right? You don't. You don't want me directing your Ghostbusters. Right. It's going to be two people talking in a room. It's not going right. to be interesting. Right. Were, my question. Yes. Were you lying to me? Were you lying to yourself? What, 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 what gives? I don't know. What do you think the actual answer to that is? I think you evolved. I think, I think you got to a place where I think in the back of your head, it was always there. And maybe yeah. you, were, you weren't, you didn't want to acknowledge that. And you needed to establish who you were on your own merits before you could maybe go back and, and kind of do your riff on, on dad's, on dad's baby. I don't know. Look, you tell me, you know, I look, I'm like, you know, I'm like Indiana Jones. They've just said, hey, we have found a map to find the goblet of Christ. You need to go get it. And then he's like, I don't know if I can do it. And they're like, well, we lost the last guy and it was your dad. And now you get to go and he goes and he finds his father and they do it together. I think this was just this was our last crusade. <laughs> Tell me this. OK, let's, are you let's... saying I chose wisely? You did choose. <laughs> Look, I'm happy to. to no, okay. I'll give you. I'll give you an references. honest answer. You deserve an honest answer. Um, uh, I've been around this franchise since as long as I can remember. Right. I think mean, I was six years old on the set of Ghostbusters. I was seven years old when it came out. I remember being on that set. It's literally my first memories. I remember seeing the guys in their flight suits. I remember seeing the car in Manhattan. I remember seeing when they like dropped marshmallow on, on William Atherton. I remember seeing my dad on the Chapman crane. You know, it's the first time I really kind of thought of my father as a director. And that movie was a sensation. Everybody I know was a ghostbuster that Halloween. Everybody knew the song. And, uh, and while I had doubts about being a filmmaker, I was certain I was going to never attempt to make a Ghostbusters movie because why would I enter that gauntlet and fail in that shadow or fail in that spotlight? Sorry. And uh, and over time, I had these ideas because, look, I grew up on the same movies. I love Ghostbusters. I love the movies of the 80s. And it was my father that finally gave me the final push. Uh, I, I, I had the story. I pitched it to him in secret. He really loved it. He responded. He like literally cried when I told him the story for this movie. And we went into Sony and I said, Hey, Gil and I are willing to write this movie, but it's gotta be a secret. Cause I didn't want anyone finding out. 
so when I used to say, you don't want me directing this movie, we two people talking about ghosts. I think somewhere in my heart, I really believed that. When when did the first germ of this idea come into your brain? Like when I'm, when did you like at least kind of contemplate maybe that there's something to hear? Uh, literally had this image of a girl with a proton pack in a field, and I would tell it to people on set as a joke, like as a kind of like, you know what my Ghostbusters movie would be? It'd be a girl on a farm with a proton pack. Right. And it was a nice conversation ender because people were like, oh, okay, well, that's not going to happen. You know, because everyone in their head is like, Ghostbusters takes place in Manhattan. And and then when Harold passed away, like I just kind of suddenly knew, oh, maybe this is the Spengler family. Right. And I started kind of tracking a route that led to the end of the the film and i'm for whatever reason once i know the ending of a movie that's when i know how to tell the story that's where it oddly starts for me and they beca- there came a moment where i knew what the ending of this movie was and then i right. kind of needed to tell it so when we last had a, a lengthy chat it was a couple years back um for the front runner and tully um and then <laughs> <laughs> two months later, it's announced you're doing Ghostbusters. So by then, were the wheels basically, you, you were basically there. Like, you, did you have the script? Were you, when you were in that mode? Because it's funny to, I listen back to our conversation and a yeah. lot of our chat is about like 80s movies. Like, <laughs> I, I think you were like, it seems like you were really marinating and germinating in that. I was writing Ghostbusters during Tully and the Front Runner. Yeah. So, so I really was just lying to your face. It's okay. Look, at least a, good, a great movie came out of it. So I, I forgive you. Um, I am not making the next Star Wars film. <laughs> now, basically, you just admitted you're making the next Star Wars movie. Okay, good to know. So what did you say your dad got emotional? Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, this is a movie about a family and um your family was very much present at the New York Comic-Con screening. Your dad is, of course, a producer and you worked with him before. Talk to me about, you know, working with your dad. And not only you talked about, uh, you know, <laughs> um, and I think you were, you were not being facetious about how your dad was literally like next to you on set during this. Did no, that wasn't s- an exaggeration. I mean, literally director's chair to director's chair. And, you know, like imagine if your parents came to your work and like weighed in on everything you were doing. I mean, it, there's something charming and lovely about My it. My mom also, is right out of the shot right here. She's watching me right now, giving me the thumbs up. And how down. does she think you're doing? <laughs> All thumbs down. <laughs> thumbs down. <laughs> <laughs> Boo! Uh, your mom and my dad would get along. Uh, no, my dad was really proud of me and, and he would just weigh in on stuff. You know, he's a director. He can't help yeah. himself. You know, I'm the same way. And... Uh, you know, when I produce, I try to kind of just put wind into my director's sales, but I know better than to give them thoughts because I know if I start, I won't be able to stop. And my father and I, we would talk about things, but it was also really cool because there was like a day where we, you know, we were trying to get the slime color right. And we had, we were on set and we had different buckets of slime. And my father walked right up and went that one. And it was like, there it is folks, you know, he's the expert. Um, And he would give, he would tell me advice like about wind, you know, that Ghostbusters, the original film, it's filled with wind. That's how they identified the presence of ghosts. It's right. you see people's hair going, their shirt going, trees going. And so off of his advice, we had a truck that had everything from a leaf blower to a six foot ritter. And we were constantly experimenting with wind. So it's all this technique. And, and, and frankly, he just makes me a better director. Yeah. 
is there, I mean, you know, this movie backwards and forwards. I know this movie backwards and forwards. Like yeah. I, I ever, like this is the movie that everyone can quote that know the original. Yeah. I mean, of course the, they, they know backwards and forwards. That being said, I assume when you delve into something like this, you go back, you look at it again, maybe with a new perspective with like a forensic analysis of like what, what makes a Ghostbusters movie yeah, work. So what did you discover when you kind of went back for the 50th time, but this time knowing you were going to be actually directing a Ghostbusters right. I mean, movie. like, I don't want to bore you because like, it's a long, I mean, it was everything, you know, yeah. we were trying to, I'll say this, everyone who worked on Ghostbusters Afterlife was a Ghostbusters fan. So once we start opening this up to every department, you have Will Files, our sound designer who worked on Force Awakens. He opened up the mix from the original Ghostbusters and was able to find the original proton pack sound, the original PKE meter sound, the original Ecto-1 siren. We have all those original sounds in there. Our composer, Rob Simonson, not only went into Elmer Bernstein's original you know, uh, music sheets, but found the mic plot for how they recorded the orchestra for the original yeah. Ghostbusters. We've got Harold Ramis's uh, proton pack out of storage from Sony. We lidar scanned it, built our ghost pack, you know, our proton packs based on that. Um, our wardrobe supervisor, uh, our costume designer, uh, Danny Glicker, uh, found the original white material that they made the ghosts from the patch on the flight suit and there was only a little bit left. And so all our ghosts on our flight suits were from the same material that made the original ones back in 84. Right. I mean, I can go on and on and on about the level of detail, the archaeological detail to get things right. We also went back and got the original dailies. We, we, we went to the salt mine and got the dailies from 84 out and started scanning old cloud tank footage, scanning original dailies that wound up in this film. Uh, found the footage of my mom, my sister and I that got cut out of the film in 84, put it back into this one. Uh, so it, 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 and we were talking about Indiana Jones. I mean, literally we were doing archeological work. And, and what about from a thematic standpoint? Because like so much of that, there's so much uh, you, know, you could decipher from that first film of what works. And one of the things that I would think was scary when you're doing something like this is like, you could owe a lot of the first film success to the camaraderie of that cast, to that, yeah. that, that that chemistry what what bill what bill does what the entire cast does you obviously without ruining anything don't have that entirely in this that's not what this film rests on mm -hmm. um so is that a scary proposition are you do lean on other aspects of the first film that you know worked or is it just about casting the hell out of it and just finding the genius people like mckenna etc right. that make it work this time I knew from the beginning that i was not going to be able to make a movie about those original guys and frankly that's not what interested me what interested me was the rest of us who want to be those original guys. And that's what I made a movie about. It's about wanting to be a Ghostbuster because all of us identify that. All of us identify with wanting to put on the proton pack and fire it. All of us identify with wanting to drive Ecto-1 and catch a ghost. So I made a movie about young people who find out that they are Ghostbusters. They're born into it. You know, it's no accident that my father's a Ghostbuster and I made a movie about the grandchildren of Ghostbusters and what that legacy feels like. But more than anything, I wanted the audience to see themselves on screen. I wanted them to feel like this is what it's like to want to be a Ghostbuster, to, you know, because Ghostbusters, whoever they are, whether it's the original guys, our team, uh, or Paul Feig's cast, they have always been outsiders who find their way into Ghostbusters, who find their way into heroic, heroicism through Ghostbusting. I'm sure you're looking forward to, I mean, one of the dreams of something like this. I mean, you said there were plenty of Juno outfits at Halloween for years uh -huh. and they still are. 
Yeah. Um, you could imagine McKenna, the character McKenna plays in this. Hopefully, I think it will, judging from the reaction of the audience, it's going to make a huge, huge impact on young women in particular. Um, that I'm must... looking forward to the Juno Ghostbusters crossover. The mashup. Costume. I'm working on it in my, yeah, on my womb right really now. That's really what I'd love to see. <laughs> uh, orange stripes and a, and a wand. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, look, again, I was a Ghostbuster for Halloween. The idea that there might be our cast as Halloween characters. The whole thrill of doing a huge movie like this is you speak to the world. It's an ability to kind of touch popular culture. Yeah. And I get that this is not my movie. It is not my franchise. I am seriously merely picking it up for a moment. And that's how all of us felt. All of us felt like this thing exists in the hearts of others now. We're simply going to pick it up for a moment, dust it off, set it back down for the next person to pick it up. This film, in among other things, is a, a real tribute to Harold Ramis, who is obviously so important to yeah. the original Ghostbusters and just comedy and great filmmaking. Did you have much of a relationship growing up? Like, did you like spend time with Harold? And and uh, when you endeavor on this film again, without ruining anything, I would imagine maybe you have to have some conversations with his family and get their get their yeah. buy-in to an extent. I mean, this is a movie that I made for my father and my daughter, and I made it for the Ramises. And I wasn't going to make it unless the Ramis family was on board. I, my father was the first person who read the script. And then after that, it was Erica Ramis. It was their kids. It was Violet Ramis, who, you know, I grew up on the set of Ghostbusters with. I didn't really know Harold Ramis that well. Obviously, I met him a bunch of times. But um, my relationship is with his work, like everybody else. My relationship is with his work as a Second City comedian, who is one of kind of the founders of 1970s comedy, who uh, created Stripes and Animal House and Ghostbusters, and then directed, obviously, you know, Vacation and Groundhog Day. Um, and even all the way up to like, you know, acting, you know, in the Judd Apatow film, you know, he feels like family, but he, I think he feels like family to all of us. Right. And there was just this kind of, brilliant kindness to him everyone's got a favorite ghostbuster in the way that like everyone's got a favorite beetle and mine was always egon spengler so I, I really wanted to make a spengler story it's interesting because you know as you alluded to outside of this conversation as we discussed kind of like the joke about like when's jason gonna do it is it, is, it does it even make sense is it gonna just be two people talking about it there is a, has always been this curiosity especially since the announcement why isn't like, anyone what? bugging sophia coppola about making a godfather movie i mean <laughs> Come on, why is this all on me? I'll start. I'd like to. I'd, Can we get into that already? Actually, you know what? It. I would want to see. I would love to see Sofia Coppola's uh, The Conversation. Uh, that, sure, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, don't, don't, don't divert the focus from yourself. No, this is about you today. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say... Oh, I know. So, okay. The Jason Reitman version of a Ghostbusters movie. One of the, the intriguing things I noticed is you didn't necessarily like hire the entire crew from Star Wars on this. Like maybe you <laughs> did. You know what I mean? You might've picked and chose some people to help with certain aspects that you weren't familiar with, but a lot of this core group are the same people you've been making movies with virtually from the start. Yeah. Was that something that you knew immediately or was there a temptation to be like, let's just farm in like the 
freaking Chris Nolan crew. I need like big time sci-fi. I got a family experts. of people that I make movies with and I trust them implicitly. They're brilliant artists, you know, everyone from Eric Spielberg, you know, my cinematographer, Steve Morrow, my, you know, my production sound, Jason Blumenfeld, my first AD producer, uh, Danny Glicker, my costumer. I mean, I've been working with the same group for a long time. Uh, Rob Simonson, the composer of my last two movies. Uh, it's not that any of us had done this before but we all shared the same affection for Ghostbusters. And that's what it was about. It wasn't about, you know, had you made a Ghostbuster film before? None of us had. The idea was, do you care about it? Are you passionate about it? You know, do you want to get this right? Do you want to see it as told through your eyes and hands? And whether it was someone that had worked with, you know, 10 times or someone like the creature creator, Arian, you know, who did Pan's Labyrinth and like, and brought the terror dogs back to life, you know? Uh, or the puppeteer who worked on Jurassic Park, you know, doing the T-Rex leg, who did the leg of the terror dog for our film. Uh, it's about just loving movies, frankly, because yeah. uh, that's what we're channeling through. What are the what are the firsts on this experience that stand out for you? Because there are things that you've never done, clearly, as a director right. in this. Um, right whether it's car chases or probably working on sound stages, et cetera. First happy ending. <laughs> no, no, um, no, uh, definitely. I'm, honestly, the first one you brought up hits the nail. I've always wanted to do a car chase. I love car chases and people make fun of them, but they're great. And uh, when I thought about, honestly, like speeder bikes, you know, Return of the Jedi. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's what I thought about. And when McKenna is hanging out the side of Ecto one flying around corners, that's what I wanted to feel like. Cause when I was a kid, I wanted to be on Endor. I wanted to know what it was like to ride a speeder bike. Right. I it's like that edge of control. Is. You're kind of in control, but you're almost about to fly off of it. Exactly. And it's all just <laughs> flying. You're completely vulnerable. I mean, it's just I, like, you know, uh, I don't know who's handling safety protocol for the empire, but Speeder bikes look really dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> High and, fatality rate on this. <laughs> yes, yeah, seriously. And um, uh, and I wanted a movie that felt like that. I wanted yeah. to put these young people at the edge of danger and make them do something really thrilling. So any young person in the audience would watch them and go, I want to sit on that chair. I want to hang out the side of Ecto-1 and catch a ghost. How aware were you? You know, there's this term that used more and more for these kind of legacy sequels, whatever we call this kind of the subgenre of film of like fan service, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this is a fans movie. This is a, this is for anyone that grew up with Ghostbusters. I think it's for somebody that probably if this is their first Ghostbusters movie. I'm sure it'll work too. But there is a lot in here to like applaud and get excited about if you've grown up with Ghostbusters. Is that something that I mean? Obviously, it's on your mind. You want to kind of make the mm -hmm. fans happy and I don't mean that as an, a nefarious thing but like is that something where you're like how much to put in like how many nods in a row and how to right. space them you know what I mean is that something that you're cognizant of in the making of this I mean the funny thing is this it's a really sneaky movie because it really is one of my movies hiding inside a Ghostbusters film it's a movie about a single mom and her two kids trying to fix her relationship with her dad I mean that's what the movie is about. And in that sense, it's a 100% me movie and it's dealing with human drama. And I bring that up because everyone can relate to that. Everyone knows what it's like to struggle to talk to your parents or your kids. Everyone knows what it's like to have long-standing grudges that you want to fix. Knowing want, wanting to get closer to someone that you can't talk to anymore. 
that's what this movie really is about. Yeah. So I feel like that is the way in. Now, in addition to that, it is a Ghostbusters movie through and through, whether you've seen Ghostbusters a hundred times or it's your first time in, it's about finding this stuff, you know? Yeah. It's about finding this gear and in that moment, discovering who you are. It's about being put on an adventure by the discovery. And at that point, we layer in so much Ghostbusters. Josh, there are Easter eggs I don't know about. I say that because I'm not the only one who's hiding them. Like, right. everybody's hiding them. The sound designer is revealing to me on the mix stage, oh, by the way, I put that sound in there from this scene. I'm like, no kidding. Are you going <laughs> to tell me about that? You know, it's set deck and props people hiding things in the background of the scenes. There is a level of Easter eggs that just no one is ever going to find in this movie. Uh, you know, uh, favorites of mine, there is a straightened slinky. Because Egon, of course, as a kid, got half a slinky and straightened it. There is the ghost sniffer, Venkman's ghost sniffer from, uh, you know, the first film. These are all just hiding in the background of places. So you can go frame by frame through this movie. You're just going to keep on finding stuff. Is it is it a coincidence that this movie happens in arguably one of the darkest periods of our um, human existence the last I few mean, decades? Like, did you need this kind of to make yourself happy in a way? I mean, it's, it's a great question. I like, uh, I, again, I came at this from such a personal point of view. This is a movie about a family reckoning with their legacy and it's made by a director reckoning with his legacy. <laughs> That's what I needed to do. Right. Now, you know, uh, I think it's a great time for popcorn films. It's a great time for big entertainment. Uh, I've been dying to get back to the movies when I finally got back and I got to see Shang-Chi on this, on the big screen. It's like one of my favorite experiences all year. Totally. Cannot wait to see James Bond. Cannot wait to see everything that's waiting for this at the end of the year. I can't, I, you know, uh, I love Shang-Chi. I love Zola. Like I loved every big screen uh, experience I got this year. I feel like I appreciate them more. I don't know. Like if that sounds cheesy or whatever, but oh like my the, the, God, yes. don't you think you're eating the popcorn and the trailers are playing and you feel like, Oh, that's right. That's why. I hid in a movie theater my entire childhood. Yeah. It's the safest, most wonderful place on earth. It's like Disneyland. And uh, look, I love streaming uh, as much as everybody else. Like it got me through the pandemic. Yeah. But what I wanted to get back to was being back in a movie theater. So with all the nods to um, the past film, films yeah. perhaps, and I, this is why I bring it up. I don't know if you remember what is hanging in my office still. I haven't been back there in 18 months, but I have a Vigo the Carpathian uh, poster in my office to yes. intimidate my foes. Yes, I remember uh, this. Um, no, no Vigo love in this? Not, I mean, we couldn't give him a nod? We couldn't look, give him... Look, uh, it's one movie <laughs> in a huge mythology. Uh, like, but honestly, <clears throat> I wanted a movie that set the table for the future of Ghostbusters. And... It was an opportunity to connect the generations, put a new movie out for young people to embrace this kind of young cast. And every culture in the world has a relationship with ghosts and the unknown. I would love to see Ghostbusters movies from those different cultures. I'd love to see Ghostbusters movies from all my favorite filmmakers. There is a lot of time and opportunity for Vigo the Carpathian to make his return. You know? are, you, are you saying there's going to be a, a Janos 
um, Disney Plus series or whatever Sony's streaming service. I don't know how Yanish is doing. I I put my money on Vigo more than Yanish uh, because look, <laughs> are you saying that's the only painting of Vigo the Carpathian? Maybe he's riding a horse in another one. You know, maybe he's actually impaling somebody in another one. Uh, maybe it's like Harry Potter. Can he go from like painting to painting? Wouldn't Was that be t- great if Vigo just showed up in like Starry Night? <laughs> Was there a temptation to reprise your role as Brownstone Boy number two from <laughs> Ghostbusters 2 in the, in the film? Oh, my God. Of all the things, you got a bigger chance at Giannis than you got at Brownstone Boy number two showing up again. Can, can you name drop who in your mind's eye would be an amazing filmmaker you'd like to see take on a Ghostbusters story? I mean, I could, but I don't because like I don't want to jinx it because I actually do believe in this idea. Like I really would love my favorite filmmakers uh, and I don't want to dream too big. I, I think that it's an incredible mythology. We all have a relationship with the unknown. And look, we're not all born looking like Thor and Wonder Woman. We're not all born with superpowers. What's great about this franchise, it's about everyone who can put on a flight suit and that's everybody. And... I'd love to see more movies that take place in Ghostbusters as directed by all kinds of filmmakers. And, and what's your future, whether as a someone like your dad that helps produce or someone that ha- that would, could potentially direct more films? Like, is there is there more story charted out for these characters that you yourself would want to? I have um, ideas. I mean, look. Uh, two nights ago, we played Comic-Con. That was my I want to know about all the sequels a month before the movie even comes out, Jason. I don't know why that's an unreasonable request. I played my first Comic-Con as a director. And that was a crazy experience for me. And mostly because it felt like being at Sundance. And I didn't expect that. It's still passion. It's still just people that love movies. People who love movies. Yeah. And honestly... Maybe I'm slow, maybe I'm late to the table, but that was a big moment for me because that was the moment I went, oh, I can make Sundance movies and I can make Comic-Con movies and well, connect was, with people that I love. I was gonna say, does this open the aperture of your career for, for you? I mean, you've kind of like been in this really cool lane for Josh, 15 I don't know how many times I have to tell you I'm not directing the next Star Wars movie, Jesus. <laughs> the gentleman doth protest too much, people. What's going, what's happening? Kathleen Kennedy's like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> we get it. You wanted to run a Star Wars movie, Jason. All right. Awkward. Um, but it must give you confidence that like, you you know, you knew you did could do a type of movie and now you're getting some really great feedback on this. Yeah. You know, you can do this kind of a movie too yeah. uh, that plays to four quadrants, et cetera, blah, blah, all the business speak we want. Um, does it excite you as like in a new phase? Like, yeah, mate, you know what? Five years ago, if you had asked me, do I want a Marvel or DC meeting? Maybe that's weird. Now, sure, I'll take that meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Look, as long as I get to tell a personal story at the core of it, uh, I'm interested in all stories. And I grew up loving these movies, and it was a real thrill to make this one. And that car chase sequence at the center of this film, the mantra chase, I literally can watch that over and over. Uh, if If I'm in a movie theater and they're testing the print, I say, jump to the car chase. I want to watch that again. (laughs) And I will sit and watch it like I'm watching it for the first time. Well, and now that you've like kind of accepted your fate as someone that can wrestle with your dad's amazing legacy too. So is it kindergarten cop sequel next? Is the Dave sequel next? What do you tackle with from dad? Look, Josh, I don't want to, 
be too offended by this, but you ask me a lot about which films I'm going to direct of my father's. When have you ever asked him which films of mine he's going to remake? <laughs> At the triplets junket, I promise I will be asking about the Labor Day sequel. Okay. How dare you point to my biggest failure? You could have brought up any film. What an asshole. That's why you love me. I like to pick. <laughs> it's true. It is true. That is true. <laughs> Let's let's talk let's talk about comfort movies. I asked you for some comfort movie picks, especially in the last, <laughs> especially in the last year and a half. We've needed yeah. comfort in our lives. All right, you made you made a modern comfort movie here. You gave yeah. me a few picks. I want yeah. can I can I at least start with the depraved one because that's where my mind goes, and then we'll okay. get to the, the more <laughs> yeah, sweet of course, stuff. Of course. Um, it says a lot <laughs> about you, and this is again I think why you're awesome that you chose <laughs> a 157 minute about the most uh, infamous serial killer of the 20th century. Tell us, Jason Reitman, why is Zodiac a comfort movie? Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but if I'm having a rough night and I can't sleep, I will pour myself a whiskey and watch Zodiac. Um, one, it's a brilliantly made film by one of the greatest living directors. Two, there's kind of an inevitability to it. There's just something that's part of its nature. And when I'm spiraling and I can't find my way through something, to spend three hours with Jake Gyllenhaal, who can't seem, whose character can't seem to learn the lesson that he's never gonna catch this guy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, that's how you do it. You're supposed to say it after, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> you give away. Rosebud was a sled. Spoiler alert! That's, and you then it. you, you say it. spoiler yep, alert, yep, right? Yep, yep. I'm learning as I go here. Um, <laughs> there's a rhythm to it. There's 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 a mood to it. Uh, I kind of get lost in it, and it's curious, right? Because I know a lot of people, and they say, you know, what is your comfort movie? And they bring up really joyful movies. And there's lots of really joyful movies that I want to watch like when I'm in a good mood. Like if I'm in a good mood, yeah. Like I want to watch E.T. and I want to watch Ferris Bueller and I want to watch, you know, Raiders and Star Wars. And I want to watch also, you know, movies like my favorites, like, you know, Shampoo and Carnal Knowledge. I, I got, you know, I got a hundred sure. movies that I love. But when I think comfort movie, I think, all right, what do you reach for? Like you reach for the whiskey. And... And Zodiac is a movie that just has this brilliant tonal line that it never breaks. It's so confident and it just kind of lulls me over time watching these characters, you know, who are obsessives. I'm an obsessive. So to watch other obsessives, uh, I don't know, there's something about it. No, you hit the nail on the head for me too. I mean, I actually find virtually all of David Fincher's work comforting in a bizarre way. I think, mm -hmm. ironically, the only one that I don't think of that way is like Benjamin Button, which is arguably his kind of least um, dark, exactly. dark film. But, there, but there, is, there is something very reassuring about such a confident filmmaker that just draws you in. And you're right, this is a movie about obsession and you find yourself like, you're one of the crazies with them. You're like, you're, you're, you're part of the case too. And it's just- You lose a sense of time, right? Because you don't even know what year you're in at a certain point. Uh, but you're right about that, about all his films. I mean, like, here's a guy who famously, like, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, knew this, but um, he steadies every shot. You know how you can stabilize a shot in post? Sure. He stabilizes every shot. And that is why his films have that perfectly locked feeling right. to them. 
Uh, I, I work uh, with some of his team on my films and there's a shot in Zodiac, which is like some absurd, like 400 foot dolly yeah, track move. And they took this product, great stuff that they use for insulation in houses, which is like, like basically cement in a can. And they put great stuff on 400 feet of dolly track to make sure that the dolly track just wouldn't move a hair after they set it, which destroyed the dolly track. I mean, um, yeah. yeah, that's for that long driving track where they're going through like, you know, and he does that on all of his movies, even the music. If you think about the music that he works, uh, uh, the, his, it has that, that, that rhythmic lull to it, that it's just, it just like, it's just kind of slowly coming for you. I mean, it's part of the genius of what he does. Um, but it is, it's like, it's like being on a bicycle or something. I don't know. Is there, is there a favorite scene that jumps out? I mean, there's. In Zodiac? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the scariest scene in that movie is the picnic scene. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's a Hitchcock scene. It's absolutely terrifying. Like for me, the picnic scene in Zodiac is up there with the shower scene in Psycho. And. Um, Ironically, because it almost has like the least amount of bells and whistles to it. It's just sort of matter of fact, it just happens. It's just so. Which is what makes it so great. I mean, yeah. look, there's a tendency for uh, people to obsess over filmic scenes that um, are kind of extraordinary in their amount of layers. People love scenes that have crazy camera work and visual effects. They love scenes where the acting is at 12. Um, show me a scene like that picnic scene where it's just quiet. Clean filmmaking, subtle acting, absolutely terrifying and then you're showing me a director who has complete control over the audience who can literally just turn it like he's just got a screwdriver yeah. in your brain and perhaps you know it's funny in that previous conversation we we're just talking about these like intricate shots or whatever he clearly knows like the contrast between that scene and the rest of the film and perhaps right. that's why it stands out all the more all right so yeah. let's get let's get a little sweeter um, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> you contain multitudes thankfully like all i'm just remembering sony's plea to hey all over they're like just smile <laughs> it's not young adult just smile <laughs> oh gosh well, well let's smile a little bit about one of the great uh trilogies of films <clears throat> ever made um yep. i think i feel like they always make fun of this as like the least successful commercially trilogy commercial trilogy ever right but it stands the test of time you chose two of the films in the before trilogy tell us right. why these two in particular resonate with you well, first, I would like to I want to talk about Richard Linklater because yeah. Richard Linklater is a guy we talk about, but we don't talk about enough. Like we don't talk about Linklater as much as we talk about Quentin. We don't talk about Linklater as much as we talk about PTA. We don't talk about Linklater as much as we talk about Wes. Um, Richard Linklater is one of the most important filmmakers alive. Slacker gave birth to a generation of filmmakers. Dazed and Confused is top three movies about high school ever made. If he had just done those two films and retired, he'd be good. Right. If he had also added School of Rock, he'd be good. If he had also added Boyhood, he'd be good. And yet we're still not talking about the most important movies he ever made, in my opinion. Before Sunrise and Before Sunset often get overlooked, I think because they're romantic. And so as a result of them not being about huge cultural moments, as a result of them not being epics, they don't get talked about in that same conversation, but they are epic. In those three movies, he's followed the trajectory of love in a way that almost no other filmmaker has. 
and done so in this way that, that mirrors the sloppy way in which we fall in love. That first movie in which you watch two people fall in love over the course of the night is the most accurate meet cute of all time. The hardest thing to write, meet cute. And these two people were perfectly played uh, by uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Um, they're embarrassing, they are cringy, they are wonderful, and they are deeply in love. And by the end of it, it hurts the heart how much you want them to be together. Um, I wanna fall in love with like that every day of my life. And the fact that it leaves you wanting so much more and that nine years later you were able to get it in Before Sunset in what is the perfect film in that series, which has one of the best closing lines in cinema history. Um, you drop me into that film and I'm a happy person. So I'm not all Zodiac. <laughs> it's interesting because, I mean, those films stand out for so many reasons. And I think one of the reasons they work is the close relationship between the actors and the filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, Ethan and Julie uh, were credited Apparently they were screenwriters in the first one. They just weren't credited, but they were credited in the other two films as well. Mm -hmm. They were Oscar nominated for the, the, the second, second film. Yeah. Um, that's something that, I mean, you've, you've used a company of actors um, throughout much of your films. There's one in particular yeah. that pops up in this that I won't reveal that made me so happy to see. Thank you. Late in the Thank film. you. I know what you're talking about. Thank you. <laughs> um, what, what do you, I guess, my, I, I don't know. My, my question is, except that like, have you found what actors have, enriched your work in terms of beyond just like showing up on set um, in just knowing them and helping you through a process? I mean, the list is actually too hard to name. Um, obviously, J.K. Simmons is a very meaningful actor to me. He is my muse. It was this moment where I, you know, just kind of realized on Thank You for Smoking that um, he, he spoke my voice and uh, I wanted everything I wrote to be said out loud by him. And I mean, I've made like 12 movies with him now, you know, everything I've ever directed, but also, you know, uh, Whiplash. I remember talking to Damien and being like, it's gotta be J.K. Simmons. And that was like really my one thing I did on Whiplash was be like, it's gotta be J.K. Simmons. And- um, pretty, good, pretty good note. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Jennifer's Body. And uh, I, uh, I love that man. Uh, and he is kind of like a, a, a second father or an older brother. Uh, Charlize Theron, you know, uh, I, I, I feel linked with her to life because of Young Adult and Tully, and I hope we make a lot more movies. Uh, George Clooney. George Clooney, as much the filmmaker as the actor, because when I worked with him as an actor, he also had an impact on me as a director because he was an Oscar-nominated director and loves filmmaking as much as any actor or director I've ever met. Grew up around the camera and all he wants to do is talk about technique and shots and what a, you know, what a set is supposed to feel like. Um, you know, Caitlin Deaver is a young actress, you know, who I worked with on Men, Women and Children and did music on Tully and appeared in, you know, The Front Runner and watching her kind of grow into what could possibly like be Meryl Streep, she's so brilliant, um, has had an impact on my heart. Uh, and, uh, look, I, I love the actors in this new, in this new movie. Yeah. McKenna, if people haven't seen her in previous work, just, um, and like seeing her on the, the panel versus what she is in, in this film, it's obviously a transformation for her. She's uh, it's a true performance. Oh, I know. Right. Because like in, in person, she's just like the most delightful effervescent young woman. She's a teenager. And she also she's, is a yeah. very, also a very contained character. 
McKenna Grace is a just a huge talent in the making. And it's crazy because she's only 15 years old. She just got nominated for an Emmy. Um, and she's been in so many things already. Finn yeah. Wolfhard also in love with filmmaking. We I talk know. every day about yeah. writers, directors. You wrote a whole movie while we were making Ghostbusters. And these new kids, kids, Celeste is not a kid. I can't, and I'm getting old. Like <laughs> Celeste O'Connor and Logan Kim, you know, you, people probably don't know. Uh, they're going to fall in love with them. I mean, Logan Kim's literally never done a movie before. Have you suggested to your buddy Diablo, what's the Diablo Cody Ghostbusters story? I'd watch that. I mean, if you don't think that I haven't had this conversation with her. <laughs> I'm sure you have, And you don't know our relationship well enough. Yeah, of course <laughs> I've had. I'd love to see a Diablo Cody Ghostbusters movie. Uh, she's one of the best storytellers alive. And, uh, uh, you know, we've made four movies together and I would love to make a fifth. And, and lastly, before you uh, before you go, uh, before I go, before I release you to the wild, I'm curious. Like we, you mentioned this earlier, we discussed about how this obviously works for Ghostbusters fans, and and I and I think, I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm just curious, like how it plays to a non someone that that is new to Ghostbusters. Did you show this to people that just had never seen Ghostbusters before, just out of curiosity to see how it played? Yeah, you know, we had to wait a long time to test this movie, yeah. and uh, when we eventually tested the movie, we showed it to an audience. Half the audience had never seen the original Ghostbusters, which I thought was kind of wild because like in my head, I'm like, hasn't everyone seen Ghostbusters? But look, there's a lot of young people who have never seen it. Um, and it actually tested higher with them. Uh, this is a movie about a family discovering who they are, where they come from and where they're going. Everyone understands what that's like. And the way that this young girl discovers the pack, where the way this teenage boy discovers the car, um, it is a road into this movie. And it was really kind of built that way. I mean it when I say whether, you know, you've seen the original a thousand times or whether this is your first step into the Ghostbusters universe. Um, this movie is waiting for you with open arms. A uh, true heartfelt congratulations to you, sir. I, one of the joys of, of doing what I've done for the 3000 years I've been doing is to get to talk to people at different stages of their career and see how they evolve. And it's so cool to me that we've talked about every manner of film and that here we are now talking full circle about Ghostbusters, about your Ghostbusters movie. And um, I hope you've, you're breathing a sigh of relief and ready to enjoy the spoils of releasing something like this that will um, clearly be a big cultural moment. That's that's huge. That's well, rare look, and it's I, exciting. I'm simultaneously thrilled to be seeing this in theaters and intimidated by the prospect of making that Star Wars. Oh, shit. No. How about the Walter Peck spinoff? <laughs> That's my other pitch. I've made my Ghostbusters movie. Now it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who's the Star Wars character? Come on, let's, let's flesh this out. What do you got? What Star Wars character would it be? <laughs> All right. Uh, the Star Wars character, it's the dead Ewok. <laughs> There's my Zodiac friend. There he is. He's back. <laughs> wow. Um, congratulations again, man. Always a pleasure to catch up with you. And uh, hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah, indeed. It's great seeing you next time in person. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>